Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike German. We're here with our friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. As always, we also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And joining us a little bit later is a friend of Max. His name is Afram Pristine. He has the Cheese Boutique in Toronto. He has a new show on the Food Network called Cheese, a Love Story. Uh, Max, we're excited to have him on. We're going we're gonna to set him up in a bit, but why, why were you excited to have Afram on? Well, um, for a number of reasons, his uh, cheese store, the Cheese Boutique, is an institution in Toronto, and his, it's a family-run business, and he runs the shop now. Uh, he's also a huge Raptors fan. He's a big Leafs fan. He's very enthusiastic. He's also engaged to my friend Courtney, uh, who I went to McMaster with. He's all around. Like, if you think I'm a sort of a positive, high energy guy, Afram is like ten times me. It's uh, yeah. So he, he's a fun guy, to, guy to be around. But before we get to that, guys, I just had a quick question. Uh, Mike, you mentioned that I have no sleeves on right now. <laughs> right before we started recording, yeah. I said, yeah, the guns are out. And I don't think I'm in better shape, really, than I have been in other times of my life. But I feel like the older I get, the more comfortable I am wearing sleeveless shirts. Uh, <laughs> how do you guys feel about your body lately? And, and just being comfortable as we get older with your body. Mm. How, do you guys have you thought about this much? I feel like, Shane, you would have some thoughts on this. Well, Mike, in, the, in I think in the last podcast, Mike, in fact, was saying he was very body conscious about going to the beach. It was something that bummed him oh. out a little bit or made him made him think uh, like maybe this isn't going to be fun or this will be mildly embarrassing. But for me, uh, it just depends on how much effort I've been putting into it. And the, the more effort I've been put into it, the less conscious I am of my body. So right now it's been a it's been a hectic times. Do you have a dad confidence, though, that you didn't have before? Uh, I guess when you're not trying to impress a potential suitor, you're just inherently going to not care as much. But if if this was, if I was single and I was at a cottage thing and there was a bunch of people I was interested in, I'd want to look my best. And if I didn't feel like I looked my best, I might be more self-conscious than I am now. So, yeah. What about you, Max? Do you uh, feel you feel less body conscious right now because you what your arms are looking better? Or you just don't care as much. I just don't think I care as much anymore. Um, yeah, because even on the street, I was just going to grab a coffee, and there's this guy, this really handsome dude, who's also sleeveless. Uh, Max, were you looking in, in your reflection in the window? Was it? <laughs> I wish. Who's that guy? Oh, it's who's me. Who's that guy? It's just me. <laughs> no, this guy was significantly hotter than than me and had a much better body, but I just didn't care. I think in the past, I would have been more bummed out about it. But was it that other singer? What's his name? Sean Mendes? <laughs> no, no, the other curly hair <laughs> guy. I wish it was Sean Mendes. <laughs> he he looks like like a like a hotter Max Eight Max. Like what's his? He's like bigger a little oh, bit. Oh, uh, Vance Joy. Vance Vance Joy. <laughs> Vance Joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's Australian too. He's got a lot on yeah. me. Oh man. Can, can, can I brag though? Speaking of singers, for a second. Yeah. Hit it. Um. So I'm. I'm sort of friends with uh, Ed Robertson from Barenaked Ladies, and I grew up listening to Barenaked Ladies a lot. Um, they have timeless songs. And uh, he texted me the other day, and he said the newest uh, Barenaked Ladies song uh, is inspired by the Arkells. And what? I was like, that is that is cool. That is cool. And I immediately sent it to the text group uh, to Dan and your brother Greg, because we talk with Barenaked Ladies probably once a week in that text group. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if you guys want to check it out, you guys can listen to it. But Barenaked Ladies have a new single. It's called New Disaster. And, and it does actually sound a little bit like Arkells. And they actually worked with Eric Ratz, who produced uh rally crap so uh, and knocking at the door so there, there you that's have it that's a great tidbit so 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 inspired inspired sonically like it sounds like an arkelson or lyrically uh it's like about you guys 
<laughs> There's a hot singer with curly hair. He's not wearing no sleeves. sleeves. <laughs> no sleeves. No sleeves. <laughs> he was walking to get a coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what the song's about. New, new disaster. Does the song sound too much like an Arkell song, where you're like, "Hey, come on." <laughs> This is our corner like, of the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing if we just served him papers. Yeah, your yeah. reply is just in the form of papers being served. CCing the lawyer. Yeah. Check your mail. <laughs> Does that give you creative license to steal a bare naked lady song? Uh, I mean, we, we've been stealing from everybody for, for as long no, as No, but time, I mean, so. like, blatantly, if you just took the song one week from Bare Naked Ladies, <laughs> but just changed the lyrics, that would be very funny. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That would be fun. I'd do the rap part. It'd mm-hmm. be cool. Uh, Max, congrats on your Juno. Your Juno, I mean. Sorry. My Juno vision? You won a Juno. <laughs> yeah, we won a Juno. It was fun, actually. Um, we, it was on the, the, our award was on the gala dinner night, which is the Friday. I have a problem with that. Why? Okay, so it's group of the year. Isn't that the mm-hmm. most important award you could win? Isn't it about groups and music? So if you're uh, the best group in Canada, shouldn't you be almost the very last award presented on the most important night of the show? I mean, I get that line of uh, reasoning. You know, you think about music and the Beatles and who are the most like iconic, important musical acts in, in history, in pop music history. That said... You look at the award show uh, and pop album of the year. That's really important when you think about like the slice of the music pie that pop music takes up. That is very significant, more than any band. Uh, Breakthrough Artist of the Year. I think that might have been on the show. That's important. Um, there was obviously Humanitarian Award that the Tragically Hip received. There's performances that need to happen. So uh, whatever. I, I'm I'm not insulted at all. But. Um, but it was fun. Uh, we- so they only care when you're breaking out. They don't care <laughs> once you've actually broken through and made awesome music consistently. Like they have to reward these people. I'm going to give you a couple email like addresses them on the main stage. and you can, you can send, that, send that along. <laughs> it's kind of been like an op-ed in the star or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was fun. We ended up doing, we, we set up a TV on our little rooftop patio and we had like a CanCon only uh, sing along where we just were pulling up music videos from the late '90s to early 2000s. Uh, our our friend Dr. Matt Savelli came over. Uh, Tom Power, uh, one of our competitors, he he came over too, and uh, it was fun. We we listened to exclusively band Canadian bands such as the Moffats, Glenn, <laughs> uh, Gob, Sum 41, Our Lady Peace, Bare Naked Ladies. And it was awesome. And that era of music videos, can you guys think about your favorite music video from that time, like late 90s, early 2000s? Do you remember the band Sky with the song Some Kind of Wonderful? It's yeah. like a one take when they're, they're walking, like walking down, down, the road. down the, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like all these videos and like Some 41 is so good. Oh, Treble Charger. Oh, there's just so many. Some 41 had awesome the, the In Too Deep video with the diving boards. I remember yeah, that one. Yeah, yes. with the, yeah. They had the I like Brand Van 3000. Oh yeah, with drinking drink in LA. LA. Drink I thought that LA. was yeah, so fair. sweet. I liked uh, Sugar Ray's "Fly." I thought that was very cool. Oh yeah, and I thought he but was that's very not cool. That's not CanCon. Oh, I thought we were just talking about videos we liked in the '90s. Sorry, no, no, cut, cut that, Erica. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but but one thing that was cool is just seeing like how expensive music videos were back then. Mm-hmm. Because now you can obviously do so much camera trickery on your phone and and edit things by yourself in TikTok. But just seeing like, oh my God, like this this band, like B44. Do you remember that band? It was a pop oh, yeah. band, like three brothers. If you get down on me, I'll if you get, get down, down on, on me. you. Yeah. yeah. And they... What do you think that song was about? 
they literally have the lyric where they do the turn. They get clever. They go, uh, and then you can come pause over, over to my, my house. house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Max. Continue. We were hijacking your thing. No, 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 no. I was just thinking about uh, just how expensive those videos are for for these bands that like, you know, kind of never really went anywhere. There was a moment in time when there was like a $200,000 music video that was made on their behalf. And it's like pretty, well, pretty awesome. They had to shoot them all on film. So that's one. So like whenever you look at these like late 90s videos from like, say, like Our Lady Peace or Chantal Kraviatsik or whomever, it's like they shot those things on film, which you have to then get the film processed and then you have to edit. It was so much more laborious and, and costly because there's so many different people along every step. Now it's like cameras, HD cameras look like film. They look so good. It's just everything is cheaper and quicker and you you cut more people out of the process, which makes everything a lot more sort of like manageable uh, from a monetary standpoint. It's a new world. Yeah, who are your who are your favorites um, of, of like the CanCon roster? Uh, the Moffats, would you say? The Misery? Do you remember that song? Oh, so good. Yeah, Misery is how I feel. Is what yeah, I, like I feel when you <laughs> ran. They shot it on the Toronto Island and it's like, it's a sunny day and then there's like rain. There's clearly like a rain tower Machines, installed yeah. over top of them. So like the rest of this. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I, I, I personally love Sky. I mean, Treble Charger, you guys know Greg Nori a bit, right? Or Mike did. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were buds. We went to a, a Bob Seger concert together. <laughs> really? Okay. So Greg Nori is also from the Sioux, uh, home of Manager Ash, and he was a bit of a mentor for Manager Ash. Um, but those songs, like 100 Million, um, Brand New Low, oh, they had those bangers. Treble Charger songs yeah. are... American and Psycho. And he wrote the good Sum 41 songs. Yeah. American Psycho. Oh, my God. Yeah, they were bangers. Um, no, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. He's a nice dude. Um he actually got a ticket parking in my underground that I felt really bad about. Uh, we went to this Bob Seger concert, and when we got back from the concert, he had a ticket on his car. When I told him he could park there, I was like, I didn't think oh. that's never happened. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. He's like, ah, oh, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Um, was he actually pissed, do you think? No, I, I don't think he cared at all. He's like, he's, he's very uh, okay. sort of like, his, his energy is always just very sort of positive and go with it. It's, it's rare to see mm-hmm. him get like, you know, he actually produced our record. That's how I like, that's how we became friends and, and buds. And all oh, that. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that'd be funny if he was actually pissed off at you though and like he held it against you for a long time <laughs> we haven't spoken since that ticket uh no he's he's a great dude uh but yeah so you watched CanCon all weekend shane it looks like you're at a cottage is, is this true because 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 the internet's a little delayed too i mean i know I, I saw on instagram that you're on a boat so i'd assume you're still up north but maybe it was a one-nighter maybe yeah, you're i don't back. think there's any indicators in my background to suggest i'm at a cottage i guess there is a paddle like yeah. a um yeah a canoe paddle you're right <laughs> okay yeah uh, yes, I am at a cottage, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the Zoom is delayed. So, so for our <laughs> listeners, uh, if if it feels like there's a little delay here and there, which Erica always tightens it up beautifully, so maybe you won't know. But if just something feels a little, it's just because Shane's just on a little delay because he's up. But I'm I'm assumed the family cottage, you're having a great time. Yeah, I'm on Eagle Lake. Yes, I uh, for some reason I'm I'm sick though. I don't know how. This is the first time I've been sick. Do I have mm. COVID? I don't know what's going on, but I have a sore throat and I'm feeling a little weird. Huh. And my daughter was, so maybe she gave it to me. I don't know what she's been doing, but I, I try to keep an eye on her. But I feel like, how did she get out of the house and interact with someone and get me sick? Strange. Mm-hmm. So, so I haven't been sick in like 17 months. So it's weird. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about cottages because we have a cottage weekend plan this weekend. The idea of, I think I hate the travel to cottages <laughs> a lot, like more than it is, that is rational. Because I was thinking about... Uh, leaving the city on Friday afternoon and and just all like the GTA traffic that one encounters. 
And I'm mm-hmm. such a whiner about this because it it's so bad and the traffic is so intense that it makes me just not never want to go to a cottage. Mike, what are your f- thoughts on cottages? I'm not, listen, I'm down to hang. I'm down for camaraderie. I'm down for friendship, but it's like, like I, I, I get no great joy. Like cottages don't do things for me that they do for other people. One of my, one of our best friends, Randall Graham, he's got a cottage. You know, he invites us up there. I love spending time with, with their family. I love being mm-hmm. up there, but I'm not like cottage weekend. Yes. It's always just more like I'd be just as happy hanging at their place for the weekend in Toronto, close to things, uh, you know, like stores and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. This kind of ties into my weekend, but what, did you have a thought to wrap on that with cottages, Max? No, the the only thing is that like I'm with you is that like the the outdoor nature part of it all I don't really give one shit about I don't think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's I nice care. to sit by a lake. I I I, I could see that. Maybe Shaney, what what are your thoughts? I, I was just wondering for for you, Mike. You say you don't want to go to a cottage, yet your dream is to own a boat. Yes. How? The, <laughs> like that doesn't make sense. That seems like a cottage type thing. Nah, man. Because that boat sits right there in Toronto Harbor, five minutes away from the Scotiabank Arena. I could sit on the deck of my boat, have a few beers with friends, and then we could go to the Raptors game. Maybe we go out into the lake, Ontario, you know, and then just go right back to the city, whether that's Hamilton Harbor or the Toronto Harbor. That to me is more appealing than like driving for three hours mm-hmm. deep into Muskoka. Because there's just, there's a lot of prep that goes into like going to a cottage weekend that for a lot of people like they, they get a lot out of it and I get I get the the, the hang out of it mm-hmm. and so you do it but I, it's always like oh this is going to take a lot of work to bundle it all up and do the long drive and I don't like being in transit and that involves a lot of transit hey you know what you wouldn't have to deal with any rush hour traffic if your boat was in Toronto Harbor going to Hamilton no QEW it's very smart actually and maybe I'm commute. more on yeah the new commute I like this doing yeah. an, I find doing a number two very hard at a cottage <laughs> Like usually like if you're staying at someone else's cottage, there's more people, there's one washroom, it's in a inopportune place, it's kind of too near the kitchen or the main hangout area. So my body just instinctively knows to hold it for a few days. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. That doesn't sound enjoyable. That's like the opposite of what the cottage is for. It's to you know, kick back and relax. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Max. I'm, now I'm the big weirdo. I'm trying to get on your side. Oh, that's interesting. Seems like the opposite of what a cottage is originally intended for. I just don't like the drive. All right. I was trying to Larry David out with you, Max, but forget it. Erica, uh, edit that out. Mike, well, tell us about your weekend because I missed a big a big weekend with the guys because I had to be around for Juno things and this and that. What? Uh, how, how was your adventure, your your bi- bicycling adventure? No traffic there. No traffic there. We had a, we had a, a big weekend or a big night uh, out on a farm camping. The thing about this trip was uh, our friend Rob, his family has like a farm, but it's like a rural farm. There's not like, there's like, there's sort of like one sort of like area, like a, like a, like a, like a barn sort of shelter and then like one kind of shack and then one outhouse. So it's very sort of like rural and, you know, nobody thought that they were going out to some sort of like, you know, cottage type weekend. And the whole idea was we were going to ride our bikes from downtown Hamilton all the way out to his farm. And so this, this idea starts percolating amongst the gang because it felt like a COVID safe thing we can do. We can all go on this long bike ride, then we can all set up our tents and we can have this kind of fire and hang out and spend the night and then ride our bikes back the next day. So I'm not really like, I'm like immediately, I'm like, well, this would be like the first sort of like overnight like vacation-y type thing we've done in like a year and a half or whatever it's been since COVID started. I'm like, so like, I'm kind of like, I'm into it. Like I want to do this if things sort of line up. But I didn't really think about the fact that like, I haven't done anything truly physical in a year and a half and i just agreed to jump on a bike and fucking drive 
Guess how many kilometers it was in total there and back. I think I heard that. It was like 30 kilometers each way. 60 kilometers I drove in my physical condition. And I will say, so we, we all meet at our buddy Rob's shop. Um, my and- physical condition. <laughs> Very dramatic way of yeah, saying you yeah. haven't just exercised in a while. But yeah. yeah, you know, that's the thing. Well, I think a part of why I wanted to do it is I was like, oh, this will kickstart a health thing. Because like Shane said, any of my self-consciousness doesn't necessarily come from like how I look physically. Like it is what it is. It's that I know inherently in my soul, I have been lazy and, and procrastinating and lacking when it comes to physical activity over the course of this pandemic. So this felt like this thing that would force me to kickstart things and shock my body into sort of like being physical going forward as we enter the summer. So we start riding and immediately we start going like up the escarpment, which is a slow sort of like, like uh, incline, but it's like steady. So I'm like driving steady and about 20 minutes into this ride, I truly start having thoughts about backing out. I'm like, I could turn around and go <laughs> home right now. I'm like, but you know, our group of friends, I'm like, I will never hear the end of this shit if I quit right now. No. I'm like, so I have to do it. I have to stick with it. Uh, but I started having this thought. What would be the thing that would make me stop? Like, would it be a pain in my arm? Would it be a tightness in my chest? Like, I'm like, I need to figure out what the thing would be that would get me to pull out that would like, the embarrassment wouldn't be as great as my fear of actually like collapsing. Uh, luckily, I never got to that. And we did it like in 30 degree heat at like 30 Celsius. Mm, like, it was it, hot. It was, it was hot. insane. So yeah, we got up there. Uh, like, you know, the whole gang was there. It was like, it was just, it was a really, really good sort of like old school funny hang, uh, all the shenanigans you would imagine. Jules jumped over a fire and didn't realize there was, he, he misjudged it and he hit a log and rolled his ankle. So his ankle was the size of a baseball uh, the next day. And then he had, no. we had to ride back. And then there was like That's this classic. whole, this whole thing. <laughs> there was this whole episode with ticks that happened after people got that. It, it, like it ended up I kind did of, hear about this. Oh my God. <laughs> I, told me about I don't have to get into this, but so Savelli hung out with you on the Friday for the, the Canadian Junos Fest. Yeah. And then he came out uh, for the, um, he was he was thing. very hungover and and it was like I cannot ride my bike there and I guess he drove there right he, he he's the actually. only yeah he drove and then drove back but the rest of us did ride um, and yeah I, I don't have to get into the tick thing but I will just say that our buddy Peak. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we were just talking about how like the thing is we don't even like camping in normal circumstances it's like the only reason we did this is because no it's we haven't done anything in a year and a half like this so I was like I will do this and then like all of these things that you imagine would happen happen and uh, Peak summed it up perfectly when he said afterwards because we got it was great you know but uh, he goes I told Rob it was a once in a lifetime experience because we're (laughs) never ever ever going back to a farm any of us but uh (laughs) but it was awesome and it was yeah by the time I got back like the ride home was way worse. Obviously we drank all night and then like I got on a bike in 30 degree heat and then like drove home. That's the other thing about camping. Yeah. Waking up at like 7 a.m. to the brutal oppressive heat. It's like, like I like to ease my way into the day. It's very like essential that I just like ramp up at my own speed, but just to like to emerge like from the ground out of your tent and it's just like the sun blaring at you and then have to ride. Oh, what a fucking nightmare. Oh God. But the hang was great. That's, that's sure. the thing. The, the pocket where we actually got to feel like ourselves again, like almost like we could, we forgot the pandemic existed and we all just got to sit around a fire and go back to our own tents. It was, it was, it was, it was cool. How was Jules able to get back? Did he get a ride or with Savelli? He rode with the, he basically, when he was on the bike, he said the ankle didn't hurt as much than when he was walking. So he just biked the whole way with like a, basically an ankle the size of a softball. Oh, damn. Shane, what have you been doing? Nothing much. Like, uh, I, I was on a boat. Not to make Mike jealous, but I was riding around in a boat. <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, we, there's two boats up here. There's like a pontoon, I guess, which is more like a party-style boat. And then there's a little speed boat. 
So we uh, we go on both. It's fun. Whose cottage is this again? This is the Alex's parents' family. It's the family cottage. Yeah. Are are you aspiring to get your own cottage one day? Does it make you go fuck? I need to get another income. I need to get another property so I can have my own cottage. Or will it just because you know? I think the hope is that one day we yeah. No, but like maybe Jake wants the cottage all to himself. Maybe mm. he doesn't want to share it with your family. Well, then he he's got to buy us out. And we will hold him over the coals. <laughs> no, I, I think we would share it. And Jake's a fun guy to party with. And he's very chill. Is he? What, what is Jake like? What's your relationship like with your brother-in-law? Like, he's very funny. But he's very quiet, too. But then when you when he needs to be uh, gregarious, he can be that way. Like, around the fire after a few drinks. But he's the type he'll bring, like, a, a Hemingway book and just sit on a hammock and... Or lay on the hammock and read all day. Oh, wow. Uh, is he intimidating to you? Because he's so hot, but he's also mysterious. And do you think you're better looking than him? Um, <laughs> yes. No, I'm kidding. Obviously not. I'm not uh, that wild of a person. Like, uh, I, I know looks, and it is intimidating if he's if he's shirtless and he's walking around, and then someone has a camera out, and they're like, hey, guys, like, pose for this picture. I don't like direct comparisons like that. But if he's just like we're both wearing clothes and it's like po- give a thumbs up, I think it's not the disparity. You're both isn't wearing as winter great. jackets and hats. <laughs> yeah, and like a balaclava. Most of your body's covered. <laughs> like sun sunglasses. <laughs> then I'm perfectly comfortable. Yeah, he, he is. He can be intimidating, but I have gotten to know him a lot better over the years, and I think he appreciates my uh, my comedy style. We have similar mm, tastes and. and- Okay, and with um, with regards to your relationship with your father in law, uh, has that how has that evolved in the last couple of years? Because I know he's always really liked you, uh, but have you been more well, comfortable he's, he's with tricky. him? Okay, <laughs> how's he tricky? Like like are, are there things you don't want to bring up around him? Is he moody at certain times? He's not moody, but that's the problem. It almost it's like a type of kindness which is almost so kind that it feels fake, and you feel like oh, I bet he's pillow talking behind my back making fun of some stupid thing i did but you never know and you've never i've never seen him crack at all so i'm like it's got to be his real personality but then sometimes you wonder what is he actually thinking because i think even if he had like terrible thoughts about me he'd be too kind to tell me or anyone else maybe Mm. so it might be like a deathbed thing where he's like i never liked you (laughs) i don't know i'm disappointed (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's a great it's a great Uh, relationship as good as you could ever have or ask for like never in my wildest dreams that i think i'd you know because you always see the movies where it's very intimidating and i've i've had situations where i've been very intimidated Mm. mike what about you and owen owen would scare the shit out of me no we good we good we, yeah, yeah. We've, we've had time we've had time to get it right like i'd say like the first few hangs you gotta you gotta like feel it out you know uh but now like we all know who we are and we've, we've grown to love each other as families do i i i always liked him i think he probably just thought i was a bit of a weirdo <laughs> mm-hmm. now what what is the longest you've ever hugged him for it's <laughs> <laughs> a great question have you ever said i love you to owen I know yeah. you love them, but like, have you well, ever one said question it? at a time, but let's get to all of them. Okay. <laughs> That's a really good question. Maybe, maybe, maybe at my wedding. I, I know when I know when I asked him if uh, for, to marry Danica, uh, we had a big hug. It was a long hug in the kitchen of his place. 
Yeah. And who went to pull away first? <laughs> uh, I think I Mike think it goes was, to think... pull away. He's like, no, no, I just need one more second. <laughs> well, he's a big guy. So like when we stood yeah. up and he was like, yes, you know, and he gave me a big hug after he said, yeah, like married Danica. He like pulled me in like tight. <laughs> Felt nice and warm, this warm embrace, you know, from this, this father figure. Uh, so it's good. Yeah, no, we're, we're great. We're great. I don't think we're going to like, you know, hang out and watch like Interstellar together anytime soon or like, you know, watch a, an NBA game. But um some golf on, which sit and chat. I ask him questions like, oh, you know, why, why is this guy good? Or is this guy, where's he ranked and all that stuff? And he knows those mm-hmm. answers. So it's good, man. It's real good. And what, what was your yeah. question? I love you. Yeah. Have you ever said I love you to him? I, probably at the wedding, I think. If, if that. Mm-hmm. But if not, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've said it. Uh, Danica's, Danica's working. In a, hey, Danica, have I ever said I love you <laughs> to your dad? <laughs> Maybe a casual love you. Yeah. Love you, bro. Uh, <laughs> Just love face you. Face handshake. Yeah. Yeah. The difference between I love, love you, you love and you love you yeah. is significant. Love mm-hmm. you too. Or just love you. Yeah, yeah no, I, I don't know. I, I think so. I, I would say that if I had to bet, I, I've definitely said it, but it's not a, a regular occurrence with my father-in-law. But now that we had this conversation, I'm going to make it really awkward and do it with him every time, which he'll probably be like, <laughs> what, what happened with Mike? Why is he saying I love you and hugging me every time he leaves my place? Last father-in-law <laughs> question. Um, have you ever yeah. been drunk in his presence? And if so, was he drunk too? Uh, yes and yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, for sure. Yeah, good. no, because we've, we've been at like other family like uh, weddings, like for their extended family, like one of Danica's cousins or something. And then like uh, Dan's sister will like be the DD. And then like, we all have drinks and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. It's always a good time. Yeah. That can be the ultimate icebreaker. Yeah. Have you been drunk with John Shane? I'm trying to think if I've been sober with him because at the cottage, we tend to, uh, yeah. (laughs) man. No, yeah, we we have fun. It's a very fun family. So the world is beginning to open up here in Ontario, and patios are going to be open on Friday, I think, across the province. Have you guys had discussions with your family on what the patio policy is for for Mikey Likey and Shaney Boy 69, 83, whatever you call yourself now? (laughs) Well, you got to go first because I don't exactly know what you mean. I want to hear you answer this, and then I'll... uh deduce what, what you guys are talking about once well I, I don't really have to respond to anybody so I, I you know so i can kind of if i want to go meet uh a friend on the on a patio for a drink i could just go do that and i oh, wouldn't yeah. have to oh Max I mean? is living... I, by the way i'm i'm double vaccinated now too i don't know if you guys saw my instagram saw that congrats mm-hmm. no you've been living Thank free you. and easy just sharing vapes kisses you you're cool man you, you yeah, have a different life than the rest of mm-hmm. us for sure now, quite the elaborate tale on your Instagram of how you got double vax. Now, was that a... Me- <laughs> <Elaborate>. <laughs> too well, many details. I was, t- was telling a story, man. People want to be uh, taken for a journey. And that's what I did. I know. It just, it's well, just a weird coincidence. All the semi-really fa- famous people uh, happen to be double vaxxed <laughs> and then have this like lucky story of how it came to be. <laughs> You'll never guess. The strangest thing happened to me. <laughs> So you think this is a conspiracy that, that, that all semi-famous people are, got the vaccine, but then we had a secret meeting with each other and we said, okay, everybody's got to come up with some heartwarming tale where we give credit to some frontline worker. And then that's, that's what gets us uh, right in the pub, court of public opinion. He's been walking around Pretty for much. weeks with no with no sleeves on, hoping that he would just fall onto <laughs> yeah. a, a double dose. Needles, you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got hey, no is that a, 
Is that a vax? Is that a vax? I don't have any sleeves. You've got a, an extra shot. <laughs> no, but I'm sure it had nothing to do with your status. But that is good that you're double vaxxed. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I do think if you are double vaxxed, that that will be probably the impetus where we can talk about double patioing it up within the family. But no one in our family as of yet is double vaxxed. Okay. Fair enough. And Mike? Uh, Danica, Danica and I had sat on a had sat on a patio for like a lunch and stuff like that, like pre recent lockdown, like you know whatever last summer and stuff like that. Uh, and I would say, yeah, like if things are like spaced out, I, I sat on a patio for a drink. I don't think that's a crazy thing. Um, yeah, I think we're pretty, you know, go for it. I, I sent an article uh, to the to the gang about the premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, who got in hot water the other day because he was having a patio dinner with some of his uh, rooftop colleagues. patio. They were trying to be clandestine. They were trying to hide it. They were on the, uh, this high roof and somebody with some sort of like zoom angle lens from a taller building got a photo of these guys with their wine in their ah. gym up there. I read the article. It was hilarious. You always have to make sure you're on the tallest building when you're doing that. That's the takeaway. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. If you're going to be a hypocrite fucking politician and you're going to have a party on a rooftop, make it sure it's the highest rooftop. Yeah. And no air, no airspace, air, clear the airspace, oh, no yeah. helicopters. Yeah. Okay, th- this is a funny one because Jason Kenney is the kind of guy whose politics I probably largely don't agree with. Um, but it seems like getting called up for this particular one seems like a waste of like resources and actually makes the opposing sides like other arguments like delegitim or delegitimizes their oppo- their other arguments about why they dislike him because it's like every, what he was doing i didn't no, seem no, that no 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 well, okay so walk, walk me through this walk, walk me through this Mike. in a vacuum what, you're right it's like listen like even during lockdown like have i sat in a backyard with a couple friends yes we're all sort of like doing things here and there and so him spaced out at a table and it looked pretty spaced out in the photo that i saw it was a big ass table it's a big big table uh the issue that people have is the do as i say not as i do and people are just sick of the hypocrisy they're sick of being like sort of uh you know herded into one set of rules when the elite or the people that are the policymakers do not abide them themselves. It's, it, it goes back to people going on vacation after like ha- travel bans and then getting caught That's in fucking though. Cuba. That's different That is significantly... What, I mean, one thing to be leading, leaving the country. The other thing to be having ostensibly like a it's backyard... It's not, not the principle, I know the actual the act. I get that. But I think there's various degrees of that within, it, within the principle. Shane, that, break our that tie. Can, that can be evaluated. What do you think, Shane? Well, I, th- I think Mike's right. If the guy's making the rules and telling other people not to do it, and then he goes and does it, that's not right. I would be taking photos from a helicopter of that guy <laughs> and publishing it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you're a politician, you're held to a, a, another standard. I just think that there are like legitimate grievances against that guy. And when... Uh, the other side uses like all their energy to be like, and then he did this. Then it's like, okay, let's focus on all the other stuff that actually is important. Uh, whereas like, this is sort of just like a mild um, hypocrisy that, that really means nothing in, in, in the actual real world. But this it's could be like a they're... gateway for a lot of people who don't are not deeply entrenched in politics. It's something, it's something easy to grab onto this story. And then it could lead them to other mm. uh, things that this person's done. Or it might just uh, fuel the culture wars uh, and inflame the flames that much more, whatever that expression or is. Or <laughs> it might not. It could just lead them to it. 
to to other stories about this. Movie. I also love the phrase or... "inflame in the flames." <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're like trying to yeah. find an expression, and I you're just like, ah. and then you find and the perfect also... one and use it on a podcast. Flame the flame. <laughs> that just happened. flame the flames is going to be the title. Yeah. Of the the... <laughs> no, where you just give up. You're just like, I could try and test my brain like another like 6%, but then you just go, ah, fuck it. Inflame the flames. <laughs> well, you were looking for fan the flames, right? Fan the flames. Yes. There we go. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about here up the top is book club. I never heard what happened to it. <laughs> now, I made all these, you know, like excuses. I have all these learning disabilities because I was embarrassed about being the only person to not oh, attend shit. the book club. What happened to it? How did it go? Who was the star? How did it roll out? Like, I'm oh, it never happened, right? Really? As far as I know, it didn't happen. It never happened. I think we were planning to have it on like the Monday and then something. I think there's a basketball game that we all really wanted to watch. <laughs> and so we're like, ah, and, and a bunch of people weren't done the book yet. So I'm like, ah, fuck it. Let's push it. And then that just, that was like a month ago. I totally forgot about the oh, book club. wow. Until now. Jeez. I was so nervous about being the only person. Wow. I shouldn't have said no, anything. No. Has anyone checked in on <laughs> Al, who's, who, who set the whole thing up? I, I feel like. <laughs> okay. I don't know. He, I think he was the one that wanted to get on a Zoom and have some com camaraderie. And then it just sort of, it died on the vine and never really came up until this moment. Well, shit. Sorry, Al. Uh, we'll get to that one day. One day. Guys, should we get to our feature guest? Let's do it. All right. Today on the show, we're welcoming Afram Pristine. Like Max said, he has a very popular shop in Toronto called Cheese Boutique, uh, which is family owned. They've had it for, I think, 50 years. Um, he's got a new show on the Food Network called Cheese, A Love Story. Excited to talk to him. You guys want to get to it? Let's do it. All right, let's jump right in here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I actually, I want to start because Max was like, we have to get him on. We have to get him on. He's talking about you. How did you guys come together? How do you guys know each other? How do we know each other? I don't through know. Courtney. Through Courtney. Is it through Courtney? I know I know I, that is I, also the, the, the main connection, but I, wasn't that sort of like a side angle to us meeting each other? Uh, no, I think the first time you came into the store... I remember because Courtney's like, Max is coming. Can you look after mm. him? Can you uh. look after him? I'm like, of course. I get the red carpet nice and steamed and ready to go. <laughs> and, and then, right. you know, and I think that was kind of it. And then, you know, you fell in love with the shop, I guess. And, uh, and then the rest <laughs> is history. Yeah, All well, the cool kids spirits, shop though. at the Cheese Boutique, right? Yes, that's 100%. Do you remember what kind of cheese you bought on that initial visit? No, because I love cheese, but I don't know anything about it really. So Afram is really awesome at explaining like what what needs to happen when like what, what needs to happen. Let's hear it. I do. And and it was um you were having um people over in I want to say your parents' mm -hmm. backyard and it was just like four four of you and uh you just kind of said, "Hey, Afram, give me the best you got." And I remember one specific, it was an aged Gruyere. It was because it's one of my wow. favorites. But this is, I don't remember what I ate last night, but I remember <laughs> what cheese people eat. So it was uh, an amazing um, cave aged uh, two year old Swiss Gruyere, which is like, like full and sharp and nutty. It's actually, it's going to be featured on the show tomorrow, actually, oddly enough. 
but and then mm. and and then it was like a, it, it was three or four cheeses and a few cured meats and chocolate. I someone wanted chocolate. I remember, and you came mm -hmm. in for my that dad probably. Too. Yeah. So, um, Afram, I obviously it's it's a big uh, week for you right now with yeah, your show coming out, and but I want to know about uh, the, the history of the Cheese Boutique because it was started by your folks and 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 it's an institution. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my my grandfather actually. So it was. Uh, mm. I, you know, we're immigrants. My family uh, were immigrants. My mother's side is from Southern Italy, and my father's side's from Albania. So just kind of right bordering each other, very close to each other. And they came here. You know, like many Canadian immigrants. Uh, you know, it's that kind of typical Canadian story. Is they had nothing back home, and uh, they came here because Canada was a land of opportunity in Toronto in particular, opened up its arms to my family. And, uh, I, you know, we didn't study cheese or, you know, food or anything. You know, my mom taught Latin at the University of Naples, and my dad is a, is a, a political science major. And, and they came here, they in the west end of the city in Blue West Village, they moved in the neighborhood. And in Blue West Village at the time, it was very kind of Eastern European. So there was the butcher, the baker, uh, you know, the shoemaker, you know, hairdresser, all that. Little mom and pop, very European style feel. There was a lease. There was a space for lease, 500 square feet, tiny, smaller than my office here. And uh, my, my family went for it. That's kind of how we started. I mean, it, why they opened up the Cheese Boutique is literally for one reason, to provide for their family and to provide to for their future family. <laughs> exactly. To make cheddar. No pun intended. But that was exactly <laughs> the only reason. It, it was the only reason um, to do that. And, you know, I have three other brothers. Um, we, you know, we came along a few years later and, you know, we were born in the store essentially uh, you know my my fondest memories my most vivid memories are you know me running around in the store like helping dad or helping my grandfather or doing whatever i could yeah and now you know we're 51 years almost and at the end of june we're 51 years young and um we're in a much bigger location we just opened up another cafe you know i'm giving you a 51 year history in about three minutes but it's um hard work like hard work dedication uh you know work ethic like i've never met uh I, you know my family are the hardest working people i've ever met and um they they never had money like i said but you know they always had a thirst for education and you know they were always reading and my dad was started learning about cheese and started kind of importing it and like slowly but surely what started off as the cheese boutique which was literally tiny and had eight cheeses in a counter and I'll tell you, it's a funny thing. So, so from 1970 to 75, the two biggest sellers in Cheese Boutique were cigarettes and Perrier water. Wow. So Perrier water was, you know, ooh, water with bubbles from France, you know, fancy, <laughs> right? Like, I know Cheese Boutique was one of the first places to sell it. And cigarettes, well, everyone was smoking. But that allowed for like money to come in, like easy, quick money to come in. So my dad and grandfather could expand Cheese Boutique and expand the cheese program and so on and so forth. And, you know, 51 years later, we're two locations, over 100 staff, you know, 600 cheeses. You know, we got a show coming. I got a book out. And 
it's a lot. There's a lot of little moving parts to our business, but it started from literally zero, literally zero. And uh, I'm proud. I'm proud of what my family and I have accomplished. And uh, our, our, our following and clientele is unbelievable. And it's a special place. You know? It's a special place. So, you know, you talk about uh, this sort of like vast and great history with Cheese Boutique. As you're growing up and sort of, you know, it's always interesting when people go into a family business, you know, it's like they either, they either from day one, they're like, I want to sort of carry on this legacy and learn everything about it. Or they like sort of try to exert a sense of independence and go away from it entirely. Where did you land on that spectrum as you were sort of growing up? That's a great question. And I think um, I, uh, very early on, I learned a couple of things. I learned money doesn't grow on trees. And if I want some, I got to work for it. So I always had a job ready for me. I never had another job, to be perfectly honest. It's cheese boutique through and through. But, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, when I was 14, 15, uh, after school, I'd go and work. And, you know, I'd punch in my card just like the rest of the staff. Um, you know, when I went to school, I went to uh, Laurier University in Waterloo, and I'd come back on the weekends to help. And then, you know, I kind of went full time when I was about 20. But to answer your question, and it's a very good one, I think something very important was my parents never pushed the business on my brothers and I. If we wanted a job, if we wanted money, there was a job waiting for us. We, and I think by doing that, it wasn't assumed whenever, however old I was, it was never assumed that I was going to work in the cheese boutique and follow in my dad's footsteps. It was never the case. And I think by my parents doing that, I ended up organically, naturally loving it. And I do. So there's a bit, there's half of that. Okay. Half of me would just kind of, I love, I love food. I love cheese. I get to travel a lot and for my work. So half of me is that. The other half is I do want to support the family. And Cheese, as I mentioned, and Cheese Boutique in particular, literally gave me the opportunity to do anything in life. So it's kind of split 50-50 where um, I love it naturally. And I kind of felt that I needed to assist and help dad and mom and my brothers. Um, But I think you're right where, you know, a lot of family businesses, look, it's not easy. Definitely. It's not easy. Uh, it, I, you know, my dad and I, we, and my brother, uh, my eldest brother, who we really have run the store for many, many years. We don't see eye to eye on everything, you know, I mean, that's kind of the way business is, but I think the same, but all of us have the same goal in mind is to push cheese boutique forward. And we always put cheese boutique ahead of us as individuals because it's a family business. I mean, that's the only way, I mean, in my opinion, a family business can succeed is when everyone knows their role and everyone just kind of pushes the business forward always. I was reading that there's six cheese masters in Canada and you're actually the youngest cheese master in the entire world. Is that true? Yeah. So, so I'm the You've never told me this. After? The <laughs> I don't like to toot my own horn. Wow. Uh, I don't even know I'm what a the, cheese master is. What that the, was what my next the question. Fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, 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 well, think of it like this. I, I mean, there's master chefs in the world who, I mean, do specific training and do specific schooling, which I've done in the cheese world. There's a sommelier, then there's the master sommelier. There's 
hundreds of thousands of sommeliers talented in the world and there's a handful of master sommeliers so there's 50 ish or so um she's masters in the world i'm actually the only canadian to have the level that i have uh, wow. not to toot my own horn anymore <laughs> um and i i got it uh, i got it when i was 33 uh, and i'm still the, i was the youngest then i'm still the youngest actually now um, but essentially it's all the schooling I've done, all the training I've done, all the further education. So I've taught the cheese program at, um, three colleges in Ontario, which are three of a handful in North America where you can get a collegiate diploma in cheese, uh, is Humber, uh, Humber college, George Brown and Niagara college. So I've taught, I, I wrote the cheese certification program at George Brown, uh, years ago, 10 years ago or so. Um, I, you know, it's what I do. I mean, I've also worked with some of the best cheesemakers and, um, chefs on the planet, which I, I, you know, I'm not any, I'm not where I am today without the assistance and the guidance and the mentorship of them. Um, so I'm blessed, right? Like I'm, I'm very, very blessed. And that, that honor, I mean, it is an honor. I'm proud of it. Uh, you know, the staff here is proud of it and, and my family, but I also look at it as a duty. And, and, you know, from what I said to you guys before, where cheese gave me everything, my goal in life is to have people look at cheese as not just food. I want them to look at it as art because it actually is. And, and I want people to look at it as just people put their blood sweat and tears in it cheesemakers don't do what they do to become millionaires believe me they do not they do it because they love it like they love it and it's very kind of niche kind of food industry whatever you want to call it but you know everybody eats cheese for me that's my goal and that goal as a cheese master um and a cheese lover is to have people respect cheese and to put it on a pedestal more than they already do because it's a beautiful, beautiful food. What do you think is the most disrespected cheese on the market right now? <laughs> I'm serious. You know, I'll answer, no, no, no. It's, yeah. a, it's a great question. Um, I'll answer it this way. I don't balk at any cheese. If it comes out of a can or if it comes in, you know, a little plastic sleeve, great. I, had, I grew up with Kraft Singles in the house. The, uh, the thing with, uh, you know, cheese of not the best quality. Okay. So let's, I'm kind of answering your question by that way, where the stuff I'm mentioning, you know, the cheese out of a can and spray cheese, whatever the case may be, you know what? We all grew up with cheese one way or another, very young. And maybe those were the ways, whether it was a craft single. Okay. But I think that's also a good starting off point, right? When you're four years old, you don't jump into the most expensive, fancy, stinkiest cheese out there. You need, it's a building block, right? You build yourself to, you build your palate, you train your palate how you see fit. I don't think there's any poor quality cheese. I think there's just something that you is, is, you know, that look, of course there's cheaply made stuff. Okay. But I think there's a, a use for that. And I think there, there, there's a time and a place for that. So for me, I respect all cheeses no matter what they look like, what they taste like, how much they cost. I think it's important to kind of have those kind of, not the big fancy stuff, but the other end, uh, end of the spectrum. I'm a big high, low guy, low, high, however you want to look at it. I think it's important with all cheese, right? Like, I think, I hope that makes sense, but I think mm -hmm. it's, yeah, yeah. it's uh, I, you know, a craft single holds a place, right? And I think it's a good, like, it's texture, it's flavor. 
then, you know, 30 years later, you're, it, it got you into the craziest cheeses in the world. That's what happened with me. Literally, that's what happened with me. So if it ha can happen to a cheese master, it can happen to anybody, I think. Hey, hey <laughs> I want to, okay, I want to get to the TV show uh, in a minute. Um, but we have a, a couple quick questions for you that we, we want to get through. Um, I know you've provided, uh, some catering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think you've done mm. some stuff with the Raptors. Do you have any memorable uh, stories that stick out in, in interacting with those teams? Yeah, two. Two. I'll give you two because I have a lot. So when Austin Matthews um, uh, was a rookie a couple years ago, you know, hot rookie, I think he, got, he was first pick overall, right? You know, he was supposed to save the Leafs. He's still might. Okay, it's still early. <laughs> He's still might. So... Uh, you know, we have catered to Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment since they moved down to what was Air Canada Center now, Scotia, in 2001. So a lot of, like, crazy menu. You know, the players' diets are very important to them, right? And important to the chefs there and everyone. I have a great relationship with those guys. Uh, and I get about – I'm getting about five emails. This is, like, early in Austin Matthews' career. I got about five emails in, like, six minutes from five different people. I got, like, the executive chef. The chef to cuisine, like all the big chefs are literally calling me all about the same thing. Austin Matthews needs his brown rice pasta. <laughs> and, and, and we ran out of it. Okay. So, you know, they place an order, you know, a couple of boxes, brown rice pasta. We didn't have it. These guys, there, there's 10 purchasers and chefs losing their mind. Austin Matthews, the, the savior is losing his mind. He needs brown rice pasta. And I literally grabbed something similar okay something similar it was a gluten-free pasta i literally grabbed two boxes got in an uber and went downtown walked and 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 this is like pre-game so this is like the loading dock is closed the stadium's on, bang on like five different doors allowed them to let me in like i have austin matthews pasta like you gotta let me in it was, <laughs> that was bananas it was an insane crazy three hours but it it was bananas um another one is actually very cool it has nothing to do with food well indirectly so i proposed i was courtney well they went to uh, university together um i had this crazy opportunity to fly with the raptors uh I, you know i do a lot of work with them and kind of as the thank you they said hey Afram, you guys can come to detroit so uh, i flew on the raptors private jet to detroit they put us courtside we ate dinner with the team they put us up in a hotel it was, uh, it was out of this world so i i've had this wedding ring burning a hole in my pocket for like three months i'm like oh this is perfect this is perfect <laughs> i'm gonna do it there so just, just, so, so we're at the airport but it's not pearson it's like where the private jets hang out so it's like i don't know 15 minute away from pearson we're on the tarmac i get down on one knee i you know hey do you want to marry me and then she says yes it's fantastic it's romantic we we board the jet long story we had an unbelievable weekend i literally lived the life of a raptor for 48 hours so we're coming back so we're coming back and they lost it, 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 it was against detroit and this is championship year mind you 2019 so we're coming back so right after the game it's pretty crazy how they live it's right after the game literally from the dressing room they're on the bus so there's two buses we go back to the uh detroit airport private jet we uh, we get off in toronto and there's literally a hangar, a huge hangar. And this is like midnight now. There's a massive hangar. There's a chair 
and a little table and one little customs person. And they're not checking anything. They're not checking like passport or I don't know, maybe they were, I don't even remember, but we're coming down the stairs. So we're, so we're getting off. So Courtney's in front of me. And like, the one thing is like my, my, uh, the player's rep kind of said, look after him, like, let the players get off first. Like you get off later. Like, uh, uh, you know, know your role a little bit after me. You're not a Raptor. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> so, so, so we're there on the plane. Courtney's in front of me. Okay. We're waiting for everyone to get off. I think everyone is off at this point. So we start going and uh, Serge Ibaka comes out of the washroom last second <laughs> and Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard is just behind him. But I thought everybody was off. Courtney's in front of me. I said, Courtney, like, wait, like that's Ibaka and Kawhi. Just hang tight. Abaka goes down. He, he and he recognizes because like he we, we were with him all weekend and he kind of shook his head. Hey, did you guys enjoy the weekend? Whatever. Then Kawhi Leonard. Then Kawhi Leonard. So I'm holding that now we're officially like the last two people. Kawhi Leonard has three bags. He didn't even play uh, that game, but he had three like massive bags with I don't know, whatever the case was in it. And he goes down the stairs and literally tosses all his bags, just throws his suitcases down the stairs. They <laughs> land on like the runway. I go running down. I go running down. I like literally push Courtney out of the way. I go running down, grab his bags. I say, Kawhi, where do you need these bags? <laughs> <laughs> it's like my claim to fame. That, that and what did he say to you though? My life. He literally is he... like, oh, this way. He took one from me. I took two. And he's like, how he is on interview. The, the guy doesn't say much, like very like nice and calm, but like, doesn't say much literally just through the bags. I was like astonished. I'm like, what's he doing? Like, what's he, does he not want to carry his bags? I'll carry his bags. I don't care. So I have two of his bags. He has one literally Courtney, like 20 feet behind. <laughs> She's like, it's funny. My, my, my new fiance, my brand new, my new fiance is 20 feet behind us. I'm carrying his bags and we kind of start shooting the shit a little bit. And then I drop him off at this table and like, they check his passport, they check mine. And that wow. was, uh, I'm did, sorry if it was a long story. Did you get no, a tip at all? It was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, I a tip? I'll get a tip. No? I, oh, I didn't get a tip. No, that's very no. Cool. But, and like I, and I catered after the, um, the parade, uh, yeah. after the big parade in Toronto, I catered for the players and their family at uh, 11 restaurants and uh, I have a very close relationship with them. It's kind of like a dream job because I'm a big fan. I'm diehard, diehard. Oh, same so man. That was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, I, I like the hat. Thank you. I noticed, well, I see, I see you're also wearing the uh, the OVO zip up. I was wondering if you have a relationship with uh, with them at all. Uh, Noah Shabib, uh, OVO, uh, OVO 40. I've known since grade nine. And uh, I went to high school together we're actually very yeah we're actually very very good friends and uh he literally is store at least once a week and uh i've done a lot of catering for those guys too and whenever i do like snack packs and stuff like i've made for you max he goes crazy but noah is like uh afram do you want some ovo gear i'm like yeah sure he literally comes up like uh, he was picking up an order and he's like those two boxes are for you i'm like what it was like 40 items of OVO stuff. It's literally all I wear, but I represent, I represent Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Let's get to the show. Uh, Cause we're running out of time here, but we uh, give us a rundown. Obviously your uh, passion for cheese is infectious and you're a great storyteller, Afram. Like it's so easy 
um, to sort of get sucked into your world when you start talking about it because you're so passionate. Uh, how did how did you get in touch with the Food Network and how did the show come together? So so I've done a bunch of like guest judge appearances on you know a bunch of random shows. Uh, you know, a couple of Top Chef Canada's. I've consulted with the Food Network on like various shows, and they approached me a couple years ago. Uh, the, uh, the Food Network directly approached me and said, "Hey, do you want to do this show?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, sure." Well, no, at first I said, you know, what's it about? What, are the, what is the concept? What's my role? Because I wanted to be more than just the host. I, I, it's a, it, it's a cheese-focused travel show. This is my life, right? Like this is, I'd like to think I'm an expert in this field. They said, after 100%, we want to support you. We want you to come up with ideas. And it was amazing. Like it, it was an amazing opportunity. And I said, 100%, let's do it. And uh, I was very involved from the beginning in writing, uh, deciding where we go, who we go see. And it was kind of started off like that. We started filming pre-COVID um, and it was, it's essentially, it's, I think the second documentary the Food Network has ever done, period, in their history. It's the first ever cheese-focused travel show worldwide. So it's pretty unique and it's the first of its kind. Uh, I'm the host, obviously. We shot six episodes. Uh, we did Switzerland, British Columbia, and Quebec is the first season. And it was unreal. One-hour episodes, really cool, like very fun and like uh, cool vibe. Like just how I'm talking to you guys, honestly, this is the vibe of the show. It's very unscripted. It's real. It's honest. I know where I'm going. I know who I'm seeing. And then it's like, do your thing after him and like it was amazing like it's literally a dream job like i meet the coolest people in the cheese business i have michelin star chefs from all over the world i'm milking goats sheep, and cows i'm up in the mountains like it was unreal really really like yeah it was a, it was a it's a dream job i i mean amazing food it was awesome it was an amazing thing to film and um and I'm proud of it. Like, I'm really proud of it. And and uh, I think people are going to love it. I think the thing with cheese is it's funny. Like, even the questions that you guys are asking, it's like, <laughs> I've been asked, I've been asked 400 million questions about cheese. And it's like, it intrigues people. Like, what is a cheese master? What do you do? Cheese intrigues people. And why it intrigues people is because people love it. They love it. <laughs> so they want to know more. They want to know more. This show is about that. The show, that kind of thing I talked about respect. You're going to watch this, you as a viewer. I hope you guys will watch it. But you as a viewer will watch this and be like, wow, I loved Gruyere. I put it in my fondue. I put it in my mac and cheese. I never knew where it came from. I never knew who made it. You're going to see how much work goes into cheese. Like, I, I go into caves, and it's like never before seen footage, too. Like, I'm taking cameras to where they've never been before. People are going to lose their mind. But, like, I think the cool show is people are going to see where their favorite ingredient comes from. And, like, cheese is aged for years and years and years. What other food is aged for years that you can consume? Not only that you can consume... That is like incredibly tasty. It's kind of the magic behind cheese. That's what the show is about. I mean, and it's about cheese. It's about travel. So, you know, in Switzerland, 
I was in, you know, like eight different hotels in, in two and a half weeks. Like I'm all over the place, uh, visiting people from all over Switzerland. And like another big part of the show and what it's about is what that ingredient cheese means to the people. So, you know, whether in you're in any or Greece or Canada, what cheese means to the people, what it means to their cuisine, what it means to their culture. It's a big part and people are going to see that. It's cool. It sounds amazing. Um, and a qu last question as we wrap this up, uh, and we want everyone to watch a show on the Food Network, Cheese, a love story. Um, can you do sort of in 30 seconds or a minute, each of us, if we give you our favorite cheese, what it might say about us? Oh God, absolutely. Okay, I'll start. So my favorite cheese is goat cheese. What does that say about hmm. me? You're, you're, you're simple. You're, you're very <laughs> light. You're very airy. You know, you, you love the summer. Oh, nailed it. Nailed it. All right, Shaney boy, what about you? What's your favorite cheese? I like blue cheese. Oh, you're, you're big. You're robust. You're, you, you can, you can, you can be a little salty. You can be a little salty. Um, you can be a little, you can be a little offensive, but in a pleasant wow. way. Oh, in a and pleasant you, way. Nice. And you, and you like to, and you like to enjoy yourself after dinner. I'll let you think about that one. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is my enjoyable time. Yes. Yeah, there you That's go. very accurate. Uh, okay, I like an aged cheddar. Oh, classic. Just classic, <laughs> iconic, uh, you know, Canadian. Canadian. <laughs> Shane uh, you know, hates this. Aged, no, I love it, properly, pro properly matured. <laughs> you know, that's you, Max, in a nutshell. Yeah, comfortable with no <laughs> sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If, if Cheddar wore a shirt, it wouldn't have sleeves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No question. Oh, All man. right. Thanks. That I, no one has ever asked me before. And that was very uh, fun. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you, you killed it. That was amazing. And thank you for your time. Credit to Ash for that question. Uh, um, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to see the show. Thank uh, yeah. Thanks for having Congrats. me on, guys. Yeah, that thanks was so good. All the best. I can honestly, I could do this all day. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Ash. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Bye. Have a good one. All right, thank you to Afram. Guys, we are now in the part of the show we call Shane Surprise, formerly the dessert. Shane, what do you got for us? Have you heard about this new Puma shoe? No. No. I like when there's a surprise that I literally have not heard of at all because I'm like, oh, I might learn something here. Yes, okay, so Puma just revealed uh, a new shoe and it's quite controversial because the shoe looks like Hitler. Oh my god. Oh. So when you look down Puma, to tie your shoe, it has Puma like Puma shoe Hitler. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I gotta look this up. Uh okay. It looks like Hitler. What are you talking about? Oh, I see it. So I I, uh. I didn't come up with the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not his opinion. This is clearly This is this is very okay, go on. All of our listeners look on your phone. Oh yeah, I can see that. The hairline. Wow. <laughs> so Even the mustache. The mustache. So Jesus. people are putting eyes on the shoe. It's gone quite viral in what I'm assuming is a very negative way for Puma. I don't think this was Puma's intention. Uh, but I was thinking about controversial things I've worn in my life. 
or awkward mm. moments I've had through Are you wearing sure you something. Want to bring this up? <laughs> <laughs> well, mine, mine's not that bad. Like, what do you think? Not, not like not like weird Halloween stuff. Uh, but okay. yeah, so I was wondering if you had anything. Like, a, for me, what comes to mind when I think of Max is your New Balance shoes. Wait, are hold a little... on, one second, one second, one second. When you think of me, I thought you were talking about yourself. <laughs> well, we're gonna go around. We're gonna go around the room. And if I was to You're think, just going to be accusing people or, or do we accuse each other of things? <laughs> offensive can be many ways. Like I would think your New Balance shoes. Some people might find those offensive in a way. Oh, the dad shoes that I've been wearing. The dad shoes. Yes. Mm. And you've been like offensive, me. just bad fashion. Not like actually mm-hmm. offensive. Yeah. Like it can be or it could be actually offensive. Like I have okay. a shirt that was offending people. I remember that shirt. Well, what shirt was it? Let's see. Mike, do you know? Oh, uh, it was it the uh, the I'm gonna kill you one. Oh, that was another one. Yes, that was another one. No, but that that was that was not it. I have two shirts. That that was a uh, tank top. That one. Yes, that's the mm-hmm. one I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one, Shane? Well, okay, fine. Um, so it was when we were shooting your music video for "Knocking at the Door." It was a four day shoot and. I didn't have I didn't have laundry. Every night I'd come home, put on a new shirt, and just like I was sleeping at Mark Myers' place actually. So there's this one shirt I never wear, but when I do, I I zip it up all the all the way. Like I put a jacket over it and I zip it up, but it says "fuck forever" on it, and it's a it's a Pete Doherty uh, shirt because he had a song called oh. "fuck forever." Like I want to fuck forever, but it it can be taken two different ways. It could be like, oh, I want to have intercourse forever because it feels so good or it can be like fuck this life you know what i mean so we had a uh we were shooting various scenes with celebrities it ended up getting cut out of the video but one of the celebrities we we shot with was an elderly man like he, he was older so i uh I, I was like getting hot when the photo was about to be taken because anytime you're shooting with a celebrity you 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 know you take a photo with them so I, I unzipped my shirt and it said fuck forever in the shirt. And we got the uh, the snap and I put it on Instagram. And I, I was so excited just to throw it on Instagram. I forgot I'm wearing a shirt that says fuck forever on it. But got a lot of likes. But it what, what could be considered offensive or rude. Mm. I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I'm pretty, um, I don't think I'm a particularly controversial uh, fashion guy. I mean, like, I, I think I've what are you told talking a story, about? but look at those guns right now. No sleeves, my, no sleeves, Kermit. Well, I told you, I, I mean, I did wear this like John Lennon style, like if you recall John Lennon's like kind of conductor hat that he wore in Hard Day's Night, uh, that that style hat, I wore that at McMaster University. I probably told the story on the pod. And so that was like my look for the welcome week, first year university at <laughs> McMaster. And so everybody I, I get on board, everybody all the board. And then I remember um, trying to go to a kegger at a football player's house. And I was like leading my new group of friends. Um, and basically I like, I'm like, all right, we're here. And so I like knock on the door, football player opens the door. I'm like, we're here for the kegger. And then he said something to the effect of like, fuck off nerd. And then, <laughs> and then I had to turn around and I was like, all right, guys, I think uh, the entrance is around the back. Let's go. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, so I think that hat offended some people. So yeah, Mike. I, uh, I remember we did a, a field trip to like the Ancaster fair in like grade 10 maybe grade nine i don't know and uh 
so at these like fairs, they have little things you can like buy. And I was in like grade nine or 10. And I, I didn't, I like, I think I had $5 total for like food or whatever I was going to get that day. And there was like this, this marijuana leaf patch Ooh. that you could like, you could iron on to like a shirt or whatever. And it was only like two fifty. So I'm like, okay, I could get, I could get this cool marijuana leaf patch. Cause I'm so edgy and controversial. Uh, and then I can still have like two bucks for a hot dog or whatever. So I'm, I, I buy this weed patch and I'm like, Ooh, where am I going to put this weed patch? And I remember bringing it home. My mom was just like, Oh my God. Like, it's just like, like I could, looking back now, I can tell how lame I must've seemed as like, you know, a 13 or 14 year old trying to like seem cool. And so I decided to iron it onto the back of my, my hat. I had like a, like a Jaguars hat or something. And so, you know, like on the back of the hat, like right on this part, like above the, where the snapback goes, I was going to iron this marijuana patch on the back of there. So I'm like, mom, where's the iron? I got to put my weed patch on the hat. And she's like, all right, this is in the closet. And so I start like ironing this thing on, but uh, I don't realize that the iron has started to melt the plastic snapback. So now I've got black plastic attached to the iron as I'm trying to get the weed patch on. And basically the hat <laughs> is now melted into like the size that it is. But because I'd paid 250 for this stupid weed patch and it was on my hat, I still decided to wear it to school for like about a week and a half with like my, my tattered plastic snapback sort of melted together. And it was probably just like the most embarrassing, lame look. But I thought I was being cool and making some sort of statement about weed walking around my high school with my my hat on or whatever and i don't even know if anyone noticed the patch i can't it's just like oh that sucked oh god i find that like uh weed culture and like the branding around it now is really fucking annoying but back when it was illegal it was even way more annoying do you know what i mean <laughs> oh, i'm so glad that that era is behind us and now that like moving forward like parents are going to smoke weed with their kids and that'll be fine and no one will have to make some political statement about it in some really like lame branded way where a, a future young mike veerman is yeah. like ironing something to the back of his fucking head <laughs> <laughs> well guys that's it. That's all. That's the episode. Shane actually sent a message to the group this week. He said, I think going forward, because we were kind of doing this thing where we were just going out on a song, but I think we're going to go back to the old school pod of the first couple years of the pod where we're going to say thank you for listening. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all. And we'll see you Tell next Tell your week. friends. Subscribe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>